This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Feel familiar with that? Um, she was my playmate. And, you know, I live at the Gorilla Foundation where she used to live until she passed away. And one of the interesting things about, about Coco is that... Well, we have our Han here to call us to, to sit. But when Coco wanted to sit, she would, and she wanted to sit with me, she'd say, Ooh! and I would hear from the, from the kitchen where I was preparing her meals and go up and we'd sit down together. And, uh, and Coco, she, you know, when she was, when she was, she was about this tall, she's not, not very tall, not like a gigantic girl. She weighed about 200 pounds. Um, she liked to, she, her favorite color was red. So, and she didn't like to sit, you know, I would go in and, and sit, you know, on, on my sitting bench like this and be facing her. And she'd sit, you know, about as far away as Hogan is from me. And, uh, and, and, but Coco liked to sit on top of a barrel. So she she liked to be a little bit taller than me, you know. So she so we'd be but we'd look at each other. We'd just sit there. But the interesting thing is that we would sit there for fifteen minutes, half an hour, forty five minutes, and we'd look into each other's eyes, and neither of us would blink ever during that period of time. We were just so comfortable. Our zazen was just so comfortable, and uh, and Coco her favorite uh, scripture was the one that we just chanted, the Sutra on knowing the better way to live alone. And, and I had a, a, a copy of it taped up on the wall of her bedroom where we'd sit together. And, and when she wanted me to recite it for her, she'd point to it. <laughs> and then, then I would recite it to her and she'd just sit there, you know, looking at me and, and, and not her gaze didn't waver at all. It's really interesting to have to, to be to sit with a, you know, when we sit here at Koji, we usually sit facing the wall, except for a person who's giving a talk, maybe. But at some places, when Coben first came to America, he 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 would say to me sometimes, "Let's sit facing each other." I was the teacher of one of his children, whose name is also Coco. And, uh, and we, we could sit facing with our backs together, you know, sit facing away from each other, but sitting facing, you know, and, and, and Coben's mind was, you know, when we would sit together, we wouldn't blink. It's strange. I mean, when you sit with somebody and you look at them, you know, our eyes just naturally kind of blink a lot, but, but with Coco or with Coben, you know, it, it didn't happen. I don't, I don't know why this happened. During, during the last year of Coco's life, um, I gave her a copy of my book and she asked for it to be read to her every day for a year until she passed away and she had her own copy and when when she was sitting when we were reading together you know i'd be holding the book like this you know reading with it you know the way that we read when we're doing it like this coco would sit opposite me and she would turn the book around and look at it like this exactly the opposite way that i would do it you know she cop she copied me and she would listen and she had favorite um passages and she would, and even when I wasn't there, she would ask the, the other caregivers to read it to her. But it was about, I don't have my glasses here, Hogan. Can you read this? I can. It's very interesting because this, this, this particular section that she liked is very much the, uh, the sutra on knowing the better way to live alone. Am I starting here? Yeah. I tie the laces on my boots. I'm about to head out. 
About is the moment free of care. I breathe in, rain is coming down. Visual qualities of cloud and mountain quietly materialize by themselves. I, I have the thought of how sad it would be if I didn't taste the magic of this about right now before I set out. And she, anyway, she, it's, it's just a description about, about coming into the present moment. And she particularly, gorillas are funny, you know, they're so, Coco is especially interested in mountain lions. And I had a mountain, a skull of a mountain lion, a fresh, clean skull of a mountain lion. And, you know, she would like to look at the teeth and, and uh, but she especially liked looking in, she liked holes. You know, so we're, so because of, that we sit, we can enter into the world of other animals, of other people, and they can in, enter into ours. I think this is one of the magical things about our zazen. You know, for example, I was recently over on Mount Isabel, which is a, one of the two high peaks on, up east of San Jose. And I was just walking along by myself. And I was in this, in our, in our walking meditation posture, you know, and so I was just kind of paying attention to the, to the ground in front of me and just, just moving along in a, in a medita walking meditation. And then I, and then suddenly I realized, oh, did I just pass a mountain lion? And so I turned around and, you know, maybe from here to Natasha is this mountain lion. It just stood there, didn't move while I walked by. I'm in, in walking meditation. And so I stand here, I stand right, you know, facing to this mountain lion. And I can see the, the whiskers on, on her face. You know, that's that close. And the interesting thing is that as, as I talked to her, I began to talk to her, oh, you're so beautiful. You know, you, how come you can just stand there and not move a muscle the whole time that we're just talking here? Like 15 minutes or so, we, I just stood this far away from this mountain lion and it didn't blink its eyes. And it was like, I thought to myself, mountain lions can do zazen, <laughs> you know? And, and I had no sense of threat. And then finally I said to the mountain lion, um, I would like to come over and I've heard that mountain lion's breath smells particularly nasty. And, and I would like to come over. Would you allow me please to come over to you and smell your breath and see if it's really nasty. And so I started to just take slow, you know, like, just like with our walking meditation, we take the length of one foot, half of a length of our foot each with each in breath. And I got a little bit closer and then the lion just turned away from me and just sort of ambled away like that. And, you know, and I think that this, our, our meditation, our Zazen, is, is, has many interesting qualities when it comes to animals. You know, I, I'm an outside person. You know, I spend a lot of my time out of doors in the woods, not in the city so much. But, but I, I find that when I'm, when I'm in the woods, and this is something that we can all do around here. And, you know, we have this wonderful woodland place. And, you know, when Coben signed the deed for this place, he said to me, this will be good for, the, for your practice and everybody else's practice because they'll get connected to nature. And this weekend, we've been having a, a nature session, a little retreat, and we've been taking walks and we visited a, the skull of a mountain lion up in the mountains over there. And, you know, we've just, you know, enjoyed being out of doors and seeing things that are outside. And, um, but you'll be interested maybe to, to see how that when you're, staying in meditation, you know, session, it means to, to maintain continuous awareness, not to, you know, go drifting off with thoughts or wandering off into other places. Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. I mean, it's the key with our meditation, you know? And so you may find that when you're just standing this spring, I was just standing in, in, in the mountains and these two bobcats were, I could see them down in the field below me. You know, bobcats, they stand about this tall. They have a short tail. And, uh, you know, they're a cat and look like, just like a cat. They're spotted, not like mountain lions that are striped. <laughs> mountain lions are not striped, are they? Um, but, <laughs> but these two cats, these two bobcats, they, they, were, they were walking toward me on, this, on a ranch road. And they walked right 
past me. I mean, I could have petted, reached down and petted their fur. I think because I was practicing meditation at that time, I think that they, I became kind of invisible to them, you know, and they, and they didn't feel any sense of, a, it seemed like they, they weren't even aware of me. Anyway, I just think that, that, Coco, for example, this is the skull of a wild boar. And one summer, I spent a good deal of the summer sleeping on that. There's a platform on the other side of our pond down here. And I spent, and one night um, while I was sleeping there, I wasn't awakened or anything. Um, a mountain lion killed a, this wild boar right there. And when I got up in the morning to come, to, you know, when I heard the hound playing and I got up from my bed and I came over here and maybe 25 feet from where I was, was this partly eaten and partly covered wild boar. And so naturally I cut off the head and, uh, and you can see in the, in the top of it, you can see the, the two holes, which are, you know, where the mountain lion canines were. I think the, the lion probably jumped on top of them and just bit right down on top of the head like this. So when I brought, so I brought this over to see Coco and uh, I said, Coco, look at this. And she, Coco is super interested in holes, <laughs> you know, and, and, and she, I mean, like she would lo look into the holes of this she, and she liked to see me bring in anything that had a hole in it, you know, like a, a lifesaver. <laughs> and sometimes she would like to play games. I'm talking about Zazen and interspecies communication here. Um, you know, sometimes I would make a hole, I draw draw a circle in the in the air like this in front of her, and I'd say, Coco, this is a hole. Let's go through the hole and we'll meet on the other side and tell me what you see. <laughs> and so, you know, we'd both get up off of our wherever we were sitting and we'd pretend to go through this hole like this. And then I would say, Coco, what did you see on the when you got on the other side of the hole? And, and one of the things that she liked to do was that, you know, she had maybe fifteen hundred signs that she that she um, could use all the time. And she invented signs of her own, like for example, um, the whole game that we would play, sometimes then she would tap her wrist, right? Where my wristwatch is like this, and that means chase. And so, you know, I'm over here at this end of her quarters, her apartment, and she's over, you know, and I go out the door here and we both race around and try and get to the far door of her place first. Who's gonna be there first? And sometimes I would win, sometimes she would win. But sometimes she would, I, as soon as she did this, you know, of course, we'd, we'd both be tearing away, or at least I would tear away. And so then I would tear around over there and then I'd get over to the other side and she'd be sitting there smiling at me, trip to you, Eric. <laughs> and, you know, it was just, you know, like these, these kinds of intimate moments with, with other species, with a, like with a gorilla or with those other animals, it's, it's interesting. And, and she... She loved snakes. Here at Chikoji, one of the common kinds of snakes that we have is a gopher snake. And uh, this one, you know, the eggs are laid, the females lay the eggs. One time I caught a female here and it laid nine eggs in my aquarium. And uh, in, in August and early September, it lays, they lay eggs. And uh, you want to hold it? Sure. And, uh, and the eggs hatch out. And so this one was, was uh, hatched from an egg that was laid in August or September. And whenever I came to see Coco, I almost always brought live animals with me. And Penny, who's the director of the Gorilla Foundation, who, who trained up Coco with all these signs, um, the first time I brought a, one of these little gopher snakes to see Coco, um, you know, I was showing it to her and, you know, Coco was looking at it, and, you know, and then, and then, it, then I was going to put it back in the jar and Coco signed, thank you. And Penny burst out laughing because, you know, like she understood how to communicate, you know, she understood about thank you for, for bringing a snake and sharing it with me. And uh, this is uh, where, where we are here on top of the Santa Cruz mountains, um, once upon a time was the bottom of the sea. 
And so we can find seashell fossils up here. This one is from up here. And this one is interesting because um, it's a clam and the animal that was inside it is gone. And inside of the, of the shells, the two shells are silt. But when I showed this to Coco, she made the, she communicated by using her sign language to me that she was aware that there was a hole in between the two halves of the clam and that now it was filled with silt. I mean, that's kind of an interesting communication, isn't it? I mean, to, interesting for a, a gorilla to be able to look at something like this and, and, and see that it had a hole inside it and it had been filled up with something else and try to communicate to me about what it was. Our, our meditation, our zazen, has a quality of being able to let us see things. To see into what makes things tick, I guess you might say. It, it's something like, lately I've been thinking about how I've been noticing as you know, as I've been sitting a lot of, of zazen this weekend, I've been seeing how, how, where, what the location of happiness is. You know, happiness, you know, you know, it's not, you know, like in a sutra, knowing the better way to live alone. You know, happiness is not found by looking at the past. You know, the happiness is not found by, by going into the future. It's found right here, you know, and, and kind of almost underneath the moment, you know, almost as the beef sort of like, it feels like it's something like before thinking, you know, that's the residence of happiness. You know, you can't see, can't that, that, that kind of deep um, lasting happiness, you know, you can't find it in other places. You can't find it by, I mean, it's fun to, you know, I don't know, you know, eat a hamburger or something like that. Oh, this is delicious hamburger, you know, but, or whatever our favorite food is. But, you know, when you just sit and you can see things and you can see also that the, the most important thing seems to me to be that, to know that if I myself am happy, my happiness will be your happiness. And, you know, so that if we just know how to be happy to take care of ourselves and so that we can be happy, you know, then naturally as we move around amongst other people, our happiness is just communicated to them as we, you know, not, not have to do any special kind of thing. So I think that, you know, in, in, uh, in our tradition, you know, we have a, have a phrase which is called the Bodhisattva. You know, it's a, you know, someone who, who thinks of others you know, who wishes for the happiness of other beings. And the main thing that a bodhisattva has to know, and we're all bodhisattvas because we've come here and we've been doing zazen together. We, we, the thing we have to know is if we ourselves can be happy, you know, and then, and then it, we spread it in the world. You know, like when I, when I sit, I usually have a feeling of the happiness kind of, it, it, it goes out from the middle of me. It just, it could, just goes out into the world and, you know, and goes to, to people that I can see and people that I can't see and people in Australia and, and worms and, you know, all kinds of animals that you can, you feel that, that there's something about the connectedness of it all. When the first time that I came to, to, do meditation. I came to Haiku Zendo and, and, and Coben was there. And I said, Coben, um, I've never sat before. Will you show me how to sit? And he said, sure. And we went inside the Zendo and he showed me how to bow to my seat and turn around and bow, bow away from my seat. And then at that time I was, you know, I can't sit cross-legged. My legs just don't work that way. And, you know, but he said to me, you know, you cross your legs and you sit, and you, and, you, and you just let your eyes go down at about this kind of an angle. 
and you know you sit up straight and that was it and i mean it's you know and so shikantaza another name for our zazen is also just sitting you know and it's really just sitting i mean we're not in our there are many forms of meditation but in our form of meditation as i see it it is just sitting i mean we don't have to follow our breathing you know when he when coben gave me meditation instruction he didn't say anything at all to me about breathing he just he just showed me that he said this is a very physical practice we just sit there that's it you know we don't have to count our breaths so we don't have to visualize anything you know we just sit and the more we just sit then everything starts to open up and the kind of the for for me it's the 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 the, the boundaries between everything it, it all it, it it just isn't there you know it's like i'm i'm Oh, I didn't know I was going to say this. I'm, it's like I'm looking at myself. Everything is myself. You know, where am I? But, you know, also you might say, where is Buddha? Point somewhere. Buddha is there. Point somewhere. Where am I? It's kind of a funny thing like that. You know, but it's a, you know, one of the, uh, one of the, Copen used to like to work with koans. You know, he would give us, you know, practice, you know, a question that we had that you can't figure out by, by a, with your head. You know, like, and one of the ones that he gave me that I liked was, you know, he knows that I like to fish. I used to like to fish anyway. I haven't fished in many years now, but, but he said, you know, how do you catch a fish without using any kind of a device or your hand? You know, and he, and I had my two children with me at that time, and, and he, he laughed and said, Eric will probably take about 10 years to solve this con. You guys, you two can probably do it in two or three. <laughs> you know, so it did, it did. It took me 10 years to figure out that, to, to understand that one. And then he, and Coben caught me one day and, and, and said, do you know what the answer to the koan is? And I just blurted out, it's me. And he laughed and said, you pass. How was your sasa this morning? Did you enjoy sitting? I did. I was I was feeling this morning that that um, I used to have a lot of trouble with pain, you know, in my in my sitting. I just physical pain, you know. And this morning I said lots of physical pain, but I didn't move. That was kind of interesting, just to just you know to sit there and 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 just completely be with it, just let it all be, no problem at all. It's very nice. I have been a teacher of children for many years, and one thing that I I'm a little bit sad about is that I haven't been able to teach them anything about Zazen. You know, you can't, you know, like with, with adults, you know, you can say, you know, let's sit down and, and, and not say anything and we'll just and we'll just sit together. You know, but children, you know, they're on the move all the time like this. And I haven't been able to find out a way. There, I mean, there will be moments when a child will come to me or, you know, I might be sitting, last week I was sitting on top of a dune and, and my students one by one or in twos or threes would come and join to me and they just sit down beside me and they might look at me and smile. And, you know, and there was no talk about, about meditation and it was no, it was not a group thing like this, but there was an individual meditative contact with the children. And so I think that's, that's kind of the direction that, that, uh, that you can do with children. You know, it's like, I think at an early age, if, if people become acquainted with quiet sitting, It sort of when I was a boy, I, I liked to catch catch butterflies, and I had a butterfly net, and I was very good at catching butterflies. And various university professors would would hire me to go and you know they were doing research on butterflies, and they would hire me to go and and accompany them to somewhere because I would always catch butterflies. But some, but I found 
the first time that I remember discovering stillness was that I'd been, I was in the Mexican desert and I was standing, I was about 12 and I was standing with my butterfly net. And you know, this, this is the, the area of Northern Mexico where that's that, um, where the peyote cactus lives. And you know, at that time when I was there, peyote cactus were all blooming with beautiful, beautiful flowers. And, you know, I didn't know anything about peyote cactus and, and other than there's, oh, they're pretty flowers at that time. Um, and I found myself suddenly, I, I was just kind of leaning on my net and, and I, I wasn't doing anything, you know, and it was just, and suddenly I became aware of stillness, but it wasn't, and this is why I think it's very important for, for us all sometime early on, if possible in our meditation practice, to, to make a connection with a real teacher, you know, a real enlightened teacher, you know, somebody who's a, who, you know, a senior teacher, perhaps, you know, somebody who, who can see things into, see into your practice, into your life and see like when, when, a, I, when I started sitting, I did not know that I had discovered stillness. I didn't know it at all. I had no idea. I hadn't even thought about it, you know? And then one day, you know, at that time, um, I was lucky in my, in, when I was first sitting because, you know, Coben didn't have a driver's license. And so I drove him around a lot and, you know, I played with his kids and, and, you know, and so we spent, we had a lot of time together and he, and he asked me one day, he looked at me, we were stopped at a stoplight in Los Altos. And he said, where did you discover stillness, Eric? And I said, I didn't know that I had discovered stillness. And then he said, tell me where you discovered stillness. <laughs> and, and I, and it just came out of my mouth. And I described to him that standing there in the Mexican desert with my butterfly net like that. And then he, he put his hands up like this. And he said, which, which quadrant of Mexico did you discover it in, you know, northeast or northwest or, you know, like that? You know? And so I pointed here in the northeast part of it. And, and you know, I guess that was kind of sign language, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, Coben was kind of a gorilla, I guess, in his own way. <laughs> I, I have been feeling that. I've been feeling that that it, that it, the and the, the of the importance I think of of discovering stillness, even maybe if you don't know it, because there's a now I can look back over my life. Oh, an exciting thing happened to me this morning. You know, I've always had trouble with suicide thoughts of suicide in my life, and and uh, you know, and it wasn't. And after my wife passed away, I, I was. I was a wreck up here. And I, I have to tell you that these, that the people who the residents of, of Jacoji, you know, I don't think I would have made it without them. You know, I would sometimes come home from being out in the woods somewhere like this. And I would just take my hands off the wheel and coming up highway nine, you know, and, and, you know, and something would have me put my hands back on the wheel. But I have a feeling that this, uh, this stillness is something that kind of, a, it's, it's a, a benevolent influence in our lives that kind of guides us, even if we don't know it, and, and keeps us from having bad things happen to us. But the thing that was exciting to me as I was sitting this morning is that I came to, you know, like, you know, I'm kind of in the latter part of my life, you know, and I thought to myself, gee, I don't even have to have thoughts about killing myself anymore. You know what? Because I'm old and I'm going to die anyway one of these days. <laughs> So it was just kind of a funny, a funny thing. It was just sort of a, you know, little, little things like that come up in your, in your mind, you know, like, I mean, you can, you can say, well, I, I can't kill myself because there are people who care about me and, you know, that I, you know, so there's none of that, but you know, that, that, those things like that helped me to get through life. But I just, I just wanted to express my appreciation so much for, for this meditation practice that we have. It's just, you know, I, I feel like I, I don't feel like that I could have made it to where I am today without it and without the help of, you know, spiritual friends. And and Coco, you know, Coco. This, uh, this is an interspecies communication. So, you know, there's something here I'm still talking about, thinking about. Coco, at a time when I was most vulnerable, perhaps, 
she would look at me in the eyes and just look look in my eyes and she would put her hands up to um, in the in, in the the you know the sign for I love you you know and I just and I, and I could just melt you know you just you know your whole world just falls apart in in that in that sweetness of that love you know when 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 you look into somebody's eyes and you just and they, and they just say I love you you know and it's just you know and you can just you can just let go you know you can just completely crack apart you know and 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 it's okay you know and it's just you know and so th this is why um on the day that coco died she and i were very um we could read each other's minds very 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 easily on the day that Coco died. So I'm sitting here in, in the, in her bedroom and she's passed away and she's on the floor right here in front of me. And, you know, I pick up her hand and I'm holding onto her hand like this. And all the other people who work at the gorilla foundation are all, are, are all sitting in the room and they're, everybody's just crying like mad. Everybody loved Coco. And Coco said to me, you know, she, you know, I, I saw her, 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 she materialized for me, you know, right in front of me like this, right in, right in front in the room. And she said to me, Eric, tell funny stories about you and me and you'll make everybody laugh. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I started just telling funny stories like this. And, and, you know, in a few minutes, you know, everybody was just laughing. And, and then our, uh, at that time, we had another gorilla, a, a big male named Endume, who was, he was really, really big. And, uh, and that morning he was really upset, you know, because he could sense everybody was upset and he was really agitated and moving around in his yard. And, uh, and you know, and then I was, I was walking past his yard and kind of wondering what I could do to help him. And then, and Coco said to me, go tell Ndume that if, she, if he wants to see me, I am on the tip of every leaf, on every tree, in all the forests in the whole wide world. You know, this is it. You know, she spoke to me and said this. You know, and I understood this. You know, this is about interspecies communication. You know, and I went over to towards to Endume, and I, I picked up my broom. Zen sweeping is the coolest thing to do with around gorillas. You know, because a gorilla is agitated. You know, you can just stand there and you you know you just kind of gently sweep. You're not sweeping anything up. You're not doing anything. You're just standing there sweeping. And Endume was sitting up in the, in, the, in a high platform in his yard. And, you know, and I just came over, came over the corner of his cage and I was just standing there with my broom and sweeping a little bit and sweeping a little bit, not looking at it or anything. And pretty soon here he comes down off the wall and he comes down and he, he comes over to me and I say, Coco, I mean, uh, Endume, Coco just told me where you can find her. And I said, she just passed away. And, you know, so I, I didn't want you to, to be upset and worry about her. And I told, I told Endume what Coco had said, and he relaxed. You could see his shoulders just kind of sag down like that. He just, he just completely relaxed. And it was, it was very nice, and, and uh, he trusted me after, after that, after that day. You know, I would go and I'd take my my meditation bench over and stand next to his yard, and he'd come and lie down on his back and put his feet up on the edge at the bottom of the wall like this, and and I'd just sit there, and he'd sit there, and he'd have a big smile on his face, and I, we wouldn't say anything often, you know. I'd just sit there, and I'd just be doing meditation like this, and, and you know, he'd be there, and and it was just a, you know, he was soaking up the zazen, you know, he related to the zazen, and I think that that all of us, when we go with other animals, I mean, well, if you're, if you're, if you love horses or dogs or cats or something like this, you probably had all these same kinds of experiences that, that I'm talking about with them. Zazen is a very interesting kind of thing, you know, because I planned everything that I was going to talk about today. I haven't, I, I wrote it all down. I haven't talked anything at all about it. <laughs> um, there was, a, I was a manager of a ranch up on Mount Hamilton, a you know, 5,000 acre ranch. And I lived up there part of the time. And, and I knew all the local cowboys. And one day, one of the cowgirls, she uh, she reached into a into a bale of hay to get for her horse, 
and there was a rattlesnake in there and it bit her. And, you know, she's a working cowgirl, you know, so she, she, you know, she, she has to be able to work around horses and cows, you know, so she, but she was so terrified after she got bitten by that rattlesnake and she spent a week in the hospital. Um, and then she came home and she was not able to go outside of the house. She was terrified about going outside of the house, you know, in wild places up there, like here, there are a lot of rattlesnakes. So she wouldn't come out. And so then one of the other cowboys said, why don't you go ask Eric if he knows how to help you not be afraid of rattlesnakes anymore. And so Nancy and her husband saddled up and they rode over to my house and they explained to me what the problem was. And I invited them to, uh, to sit with me. And so we sat outside for a while and, you know, and then it just came to me that what to do is maybe, you know, in, we can turn to our Zazen for answers. You know, we have a problem or something like this. We can just sit with it and see what comes up. And, and I, and I realized that, that, uh, this woman was, was very afraid of rattlesnakes because she didn't know how they behave and how they don't behave. So I said, would you wait here for a second? And I went out to, I, I put pieces of plywood boards out wherever I go. And then I, I go back and I lift them up and I find the snakes underneath them. And where I lived up there in Mount Hamilton was, uh, lots and lots of rattlesnakes. I kind of lived in a rattlesnake den. And, uh, and so I went out and I caught a rattlesnake and you know, maybe that big, good one. And uh, I, I used my, the handle of my butterfly net to press down its head. And then I reached over and grabbed a hold of it. And then I, I, I you know, then keeping a respectful distance from this cowgirl, you know, I, I took the rattlesnake and I brought out my teacup and I, uh, I milked the rattlesnake with the poison, the fangs down in the, the rattlesnake poison came out into my teacup, white teacup and look inside and see it like this. And, uh, and then I asked my friend to, to go and get me some boiling water and poured it in with the rattlesnake venom. I stirred it up and drank it. Of course, it denatures it just like cooking an egg, egg white does. It's a protein. And, uh, and then I put the rattlesnake, you know, I just, you know, I, I held it up and I, you know, you can see the rattlesnake and see the, how the scales go on it like this. And you can see where it pees and, you know, you can see the eyes and you can see the pits in the front where they, the heat sensors and, uh, you know, and then I, and I, I had Nancy's get it sit on her horse and then I let the rattlesnake go on the ground. Of course, it immediately coiled up and rattled and it said, Eric, why are you bothering me? No, it didn't really say that, <laughs> but you know, then the, this cowgirl, she, she was, it just, you know, she, she could see the rattlesnake do it, uh, you know, what it was doing, you know, she's here, she's having an opportunity to look at something that she was terrified of and not have to run away from it. And uh, so a few times I would, catch rattlesnakes and I would um, bring them over and show it to her and her husband. And, you know, and they, you know, sometimes little baby rattlesnakes like this. And, you know, once I caught a rattlesnake here and it had, it gave birth to 13 babies overnight. It was just this little mama rattlesnake. And I didn't even, I knew that it was a mama, but I didn't know that it was a, you know, that didn't look like it was full of babies. And 13 babies came out. They're all little tiny things like this. I took them over and showed them to Coco and she was so interested. <laughs> But but this but I was able to successfully have this this cowgirl healed of her fear of rattlesnakes because she knew what they can do and what they can't do, and so you know she then she knows that you know we have to watch where you put your hands, you know and uh, and so she and her husband said to me, um, we're very grateful that you've been able to help us through your meditation with this with this fear of snakes, and so we'd like to to invite you to come riding with us every every Monday for a year. And so for several years, I got to, even without having my own horse, I got to, to saddle up and ride around in the back country with them and, you know, and, and just have fun. You know, all the, these are all things that just happen because of meditation. I think, you know, you, it's, you know, it's, it's good to, to be able to see that, that our meditation, you know, it just, you, think, you might think, you know, oh, we're just sitting here, not really doing anything, but actually it's kind of far reaching. It feels like to me that, that we're, that we're, we're actually being a force for peace in the world when we do this. So, does anybody have any questions or something they've been thinking about they'd like to, to bring up? I guess Doug is leaving because that signifies that lunch will soon be ready. <laughs> Yo. You gotta get in the jungle here. <laughs>
I was reflecting on your comments about the children. Yes. I know a good friend of mine, he, he ministered in Alaska at these villages his whole life, 56 years. One practice that the elders did with their youth, yeah, they would have them go out and sit out in the wilderness and just sit there and watch the wind. Because oh. they told the youth, the wind will tell you who you are. <laughs> so you would see these youth the sitting out there. Just wow. Listening and watching the wind. And he said they were those youth were they were so self-possessed, they knew who they were. Wow, the wind and will I tell you who you are. Anything but just the wind. Wow. Thank you very much. That was that that's just what I needed. <laughs> very nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, thanks, Eric. Thanks very much. The um, uh, one of the things that sticks with me is the uh, the idea of zazen being just sitting. You know, and there needn't be a follow your breath sort of um, instruction. Mm. However, um, I want to ask that sometimes I may you know physically get myself situated. And then I can, there's some part of me that knows I'm not just sitting because I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm living in the past or fretting about the future. Uh -huh. And uh, maybe you don't have this experience, but I suspect it might happen to you too. When you notice that you're not just sitting, yeah. what are there things that you turn to that can help shed things that aren't just sitting so that I do find that place of... Uh, I'm just sitting. I'm just in a moment where uh, stillness may reveal itself. I think that's the that's the secret of our meditation. I mean, I think that's the you know we we talk about there's something which nobody can tell you mm -hmm. that you have to find for you have to discover for yourself. Okay. And I think that that finding that kind of thing when you find it, then that will that will be the answer. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Yes. Um, I was thinking about when you talked about the first time you ever experienced that stillness. Yes. I remember that, um, you're like, I can remember that first moment for myself as well. It's so vivid, you know, and something that I do when I'm meditating is I, I try to remember that first moment I ever felt stillness, oh, wow. you know? Very nice. And I like try to put myself back in that place that I was. Oh. I can sometimes access that feeling again. But I remember there was a book I read that said there's a word for that, but I can't remember what the word is. <laughs> for the like, first glimpse of spaciousness you feel even in the oh. last couple moments. Oh. Yeah, but I really liked your story about that because I felt us I, I do that same thing that you do, going back to that experience when I'm when I want to sit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. And I remember having it well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Somebody to me, what you've been doing all weekend today. Yeah. I don't want to embarrass them, but so it'll be anonymous. But I was supposedly giving them Zazen instruction. Yeah. You were giving Zazen yeah, instruction? Supposedly. Okay. I mean, I tried. I, I talked too much. I didn't do it. But, but afterwards, when we were outside, yeah. This person told me she saw my wife, my wife. Yes. In the garden. Yes. And my wife is missing me. She doesn't know anything. My wife is actually awake. She's in New York. And she had to go to New York. So I haven't seen her for four months. My wife is missing me. And she saw that we both love each other very much. That just blew my mind. That's in this intra-species communication, right? Yeah. Better hang out your thumb. Time to go to New York. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was just amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I guess we don't ask where that comes from. We just rejoice when we receive. It's interesting to me being able to develop those those other senses that we have, sensing things. You know, in our zazen, we can we that is something which occurs without thinking about it. You just you notice it. We did have a good weekend out here, though, with, with sitting and walking in the woods and you know exploring around and seeing oyster mushrooms growing and. You know, just all kinds of places where the Indians lived. And so Jackie made Jackie. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Eric. Um, I've been wondering, um, you know, I'm I'm not a longtime sitter, but I've been noticing lately, I've been having this feeling of um, moments opening. And it kind of leads me to thoughts, but I try and get out of the thoughts. But the thoughts are about the speed of, the things that I can notice and the things that are actually going on, which are millions and billions of things inside me and outside me, too quickly for me to even be aware of. And so I try and just be with that for a while. That This moment that I'm experiencing at my level of consciousness isn't the moment that's going on. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about time as you're sitting and have you ever had any kind of experience that of time opening or anything? Yes. I think, you know, when we sit, everything comes up for us. That's the, that's a great thing about sitting. You know, we encounter everything of, you know, of, of mine, of yours, everybody's, you know, all the things that go on in the world, we encounter all of those things when we sit enough. And so I, I think it's just, that, that we are able to just be with these things, whatever they are, and, and you know, maintaining, I think that the effort of sitting at least one minute every day for the rest of our lives. I mean, I took a vow to do that, you know, a long time ago. And, you know, I pretty much, I've maintained that pretty um, always, you know, and, and just doing that. And then, then we gradually get to, to be with all these different things that come up in our sitting. And, and they kind of, you know, don't you feel like that, that when you're sitting with these things, when you're actually doing sitting meditation, that there's kind of a, they kind of, a, the emotional import of them gradually drops off and, they, and you can just be with them, be, mm. being at peace with them. Do you find that? Yeah, I, I, that's I think a, that's so. A, I think I've been feeling that more lately. I think I have a sense of what you're saying there. Yeah. Thanks. Well, keep up the good work. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your talk. I, I was very touched by your relationship with wild animals and um, your relationship with Kogo um, is really moving, and just just the respect and um, kind of equal level of communications that you have with Kogo is, um, yeah, striking me as very unusual. Um, especially we live in a world where humans tend to think of, of themselves as the superior um, yeah. species and are are having a lot of negative impact on animals who. Um, who also live in the same planet. I struggle with this quite a bit. I want to build friendship with animals and I do have a special connection with them when I when I um, observe them and just quietly sit with them. But I um, oftentimes feel this guilt, um, this guilt 
an or burden that I kind of carry for myself that we as humans are not treating you fairly. Um, mm. And I am not quite sure how to let go of that um, grave emotion that I oftentimes feel and to sit in the moment and be friends with, with animals without without thinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the, the compassion in your heart is, is right there and is leading you along. Helping you to be with the, the animals that are there whenever you find them. I think animals are very sensitive to, to um, well, we are animals too, um, to, <laughs> to kind thoughts, especially, you know, just, just, you know, having a kind thought, having a kind mind. You know, I, I don't hear it talked about very much nowadays, but when, when Suzuki was, was uh, with us, that he, he, one of the phrases that he, that he liked was kind mind. You know, when there'd be some problem with, uh, amongst sitters or, or, or in families or something like that, his, his, his suggestions, often he used the word kind mind, kind of. I like that. I like the alliteration of that. The sound of that kind mind. Find kind mind. <laughs> and I think animals are, you know, we can think kind thoughts of them and we can think good thoughts of them and we can think healing thoughts of them. We can think thoughts about them of, how do you say it? Um, uh, an awareness of something which is not born and does not die, you know, something that you, you, know, you that you have to kind of discover for yourself. Um, that that an, an awareness or a thought of that being, you know, tossed out to to an animal or a suffering animal or a suffering being is something that that we can actually do. And even though you can't you can't you know like measure it, you know, you can you can do it. And I, and I think healing is possible through that. Does that help you? Nice to be able to talk about that. Thank you. I've been wondering about something. <clears throat> you know, uh, It's about um, like cell phone stuff, that, that kind of thing, you know, like about the uh, use of the internet. You know, I've kind of, you know, I have it, I do have a cell phone and it's like, it's, it's just basic, you know, I don't listen. I use it for an emergency, but I don't go on my phone and, and I don't, I don't know how to use a computer. And I've been wondering if, if I've been, I just have been feeling an aversion to doing, to doing it. And, and I'm not sure um, it feels to me like these, these, uh, these connections that I have with animals and, and, and with my meditation practice, it feel, I know that lots of people use their computers and phones and everything like that, but I'm kind of scared that, that, it, that if I learn it, if I use it, that it's going to um, interfere with my, my connection with with animals and you know i'm 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 just talking <laughs> you know it's just that, that's something that is, is of concern to me maybe i'm trying too hard too <laughs> one thing that that about trying too hard um that's that's interesting when i was a uh, beginning to sit i uh, i thought I have so much spiritual power. I'm going to take the kingdom of heaven by storm. I'm going to take enlightenment by storm by my great effort. And, you know, and so I, I was kind of ascetic a little bit and, you know, and, and, you know, I, and I, I wasn't getting anywhere. And I went to Coben and he just laughed and laughed and he was so happy. He liked me to bring questions to him, you know, and, and he said, Eric, Enjoy your practice. 
I mean, and nobody ever said that to me before, you know, about like, so we, we just uh, enjoy our practice. And that, that, that thing that he said to me all those years ago, 50 years ago, you know, was just something that's, has helped me. I see that I have a tendency to kind of, you know, be work hard on something like a spiritual practice, which you can, but you can enjoy it. And then you're successful like that. So in two worlds, in between two worlds, that being in that gap is kind of an interesting place because um, there's a there's for me that that place signifies the, the 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 land before thinking you know it's where thoughts come out you know that when when, when they're all you know this the place where form is emptiness and emptiness is form and there's no no differentiation like that but it's alive you know, and so that in that space, that in the gap, it's kind of like a gap in there that, that I value very much, you know, that if I can, you know, I try to cultivate that in my, in my practice, because in that space, there is no um, afflictive emotion, you know, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we have a teaching about um, the five skandhas, you know, the form, you know, feelings, perceptions, and going like that, you know, so it comes from, it comes out of that gap place and takes form. And if you can keep it in the form skanda or before in that gap space between worlds, then you can, you can take care of yourself and your, and your own emotional state from that place. You're in a good place. <laughs> when do we go to eat? Do we, does he ring a bell? Is that? I think Doug will probably ring a bell, but um, I'd say another, maybe five minutes or so, we should probably think about wrapping up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's folks out there. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> There's a question. Yo. Oh. Eric. Todd. Todd, yeah. I want to say I really appreciate your talks in one maybe primary way. They seem extemporaneous, even with all your notes, as you said, you didn't even read them. <laughs> Which I think is uh, it sort of um, softens this paradigm, like we're all here going this way. So it sort of softens that where it's more inclusive. Mm -hmm. I think this kind of paradigm is more uh, modern, maybe. Mm -hmm. oh. So I appreciate I wanted to tell you that for one. But the other thing is that I read a great book, you probably read it, maybe and many other people do, called Animals in Translation. No, I have by a very famous uh, a PhD in uh, animal psychology behavior uh -huh. and she's autistic oh but uh so she's it's a really excellent book in understanding but to me like i've had a few dogs and uh i think to me what is most important is humans and the issue really in many regards is humans. And what uh, she mentioned in the back of the book was about dogs. And dogs, as you know, come from one wolf, the gray wolf. What you've done to this incredible animal. Have you ever seen a wolf? I don't think I've ever seen a wolf, but it's all hybrid wolf run. And it's a similar between a trot and a gallop. They're amazing, aren't they? And just incredible speed. And what we've done to this wolf uh -huh. for our need. Uh -huh. I mean, we have this gray wolf now. It's about this big. <laughs> no hair. <laughs> and uh, so I have had... Uh, issues with this because of the amazing amount of energy and money and time spent with dogs as opposed to people that are in great need 
Yes. But the yes. issue, I think, is that this communication that you're talking about. Yes. Much more difficult in many regards between ourselves. Yeah. And so, but what uh, has come to recognition by the Dalai Lama, which is very helpful. My woman friend, she has a, I have an issue with this dog because it's so, she never had any children. All she has, and she says, well, this is like my child. Yes. I've had children. Yes. It's not like a child, no. not like a human being. No. This is a mistake in some ways, except yeah. for when the Dalai Lama says to me, or I read it, he says, what it does uh, is what animals do is they bring out something that is very difficult for some human beings to manifest. Yeah. Yeah. And that manifestation is what needs to project out to other human beings. Yeah. So now I bow to this dog and what she bring, what it brings out to the human being for other human beings. Wonderful. So I, I, I just wanted to... Thank you, Todd. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.